Hi, everyone. My name is Blair Embry, and I'm the Community Engagement Manager for Prison Yoga Project. It's an absolute honor to be here today with Nicole Helfaller. Nicole has her master's in public service, and she's a registered yoga teacher. She's a graduate of the University of Arkansas Clinton School of Public Service and a certified yoga teacher while originally from Connecticut. She also lives in Arkansas and has been there for seven years. Previously, Nicole worked as a high school educator through Teach for America, where she studied and implemented trauma-informed responses to misbehavior to help her students achieve their goals. She also studied and worked in Cape Town, South Africa, supporting yoga instructors working with children with autism, and in Vietnam, where she taught teachers how to use trauma-informed techniques in their classes for improved classroom management. Everyone, please welcome Nicole. Thanks, Blair. Yeah, thank you. I feel like I always forget to add to my bio that I also was a gymnast for like 13 years and a gymnastics coach. And it, it always, I leave it out, but it was so formative in, in my life and my work with kiddos. So I just thought I'd add that and making a mental note to <laughs> add that as well on our bio. Um, I'll try to remember that too. I'll make a note. <laughs> uh, and I think with that, Let's get started. Will you lead us in a centering opportunity? Yeah, absolutely. And in thinking about how I wanted to lead the centering today, I wanted to model how I start off classes with with the kiddos. And so I um I guess you could consider it, it's still considered centering as it's how we get started, um, but might be a little different than normal. And so actually to first start off, um, I'd like to ask some questions and invite people to answer um, in the chat. And so if I were to enter the facility where I work with kids, they're in a classroom, we take some time where they're moving the desks, they're setting up the mats, and there's there's lots of movement going on. And so they, I think they feel kind of safe coming in and just sitting down for a moment. And so I always uh, share my name and then I ask them to do the same, but these are sort of the three prompts. So I'm going to say them and then I'll ask you to answer them in the chat. So my name is Nicole and my speed today, like if I were driving a car on the highway or on the side street, I feel like I'm going a solid 60 miles per hour. I didn't have caffeine. That's a good thing for me. Um, but I'm well rested. And so, yeah. And then I'd love to share my favorite dipping sauce with you, which is ranch. Um, yeah. And so I start off that way and then we go around a circle with, with kiddos sharing the same, or if I have a co-facilitator as well. Um, and so I'll invite y'all to share in the chat, your name, you can also include your pronouns. I didn't say that just then, but we, I want to do that as well. And um, yeah, your speed and your favorite dipping sauce. So please feel free to drop those in the chat. And I feel like I see you typing Blair so people can see that. Yeah, thanks. Awesome. And, and just so folks know, some folks are sending it to hosts and panelists only and some to everyone. So you might not be seeing all the responses. Love it. Okay. Oh, someone said tzatziki sauce. I think I need to change mine to tzatziki sauce. That is, that is awesome. Garlic mayo specific. I like that it's garlic mayo. 
yet. Curry, love it. Another tzatziki. Soy sauce, chili oil. Oh. Aioli. Yep. Yep. And that's where I, I share with the kids. I'm allergic to eggs and I can't have mayonnaise. And they all get like, oh, that's a bummer. Um, yeah. Hot mustard. Love it. I feel like we have a lot of a lot of flavor, a lot of spice coming through. Thai sweet chili. <laughs> Vegan sriracha mayo. Yes. I love all the adjectives people are using, like sputtering. Someone said they were like sludging through peanut butter. And I feel that on like a spiritual level this week. This is great, Nicole. Yeah. Thank you all so much for, for sharing. And I want to note too, that um, I'm pretty intentional about whatever question I ask them and dipping sauce seems to be a really accessible and fun one, but I don't ask them like what their favorite snack is specifically, unless I plan on bringing them treats. Cause I feel like it's kind of unfair to make them think about like their favorite candy and then not provide it. Um, and some kids will straight up say, why, why are you talking about candy if you're not bringing me any? And I agree. I would, <laughs> would feel the exact same way. So um, I try to be super intentional about that. Um, for the next part, we'll go ahead and just move our bodies a little bit to, uh, as Blair said, co-regulate and, and drop into this space together. So you're welcome to stay seated. You're also welcome to stand. I think I'm going to stand just because that will feel good in my body, but all, all things work. Uh, um, so we'll go ahead and stand up and I'm just going to let my arms go from side to side and invite you to do the same. If you're seated, same thing. Arms can go from side to side or move in whatever direction that you'd like. If you found that your speed is very fast today, you might match that in the way you move. If you're going really slow, that's good too. From here, you're welcome to start circling your arms. And same thing, you choose your speed here. I notice that every time I do this, I feel chills coming down my arms. For a little cha uh, fun challenge now, I wanna invite you to try to circle one arm forward and one arm backwards. It's a little bit of a brain game. So you can start with your arms up together by your ears and one arm's gonna come to the front and one to the back. This is where the giggles really start and the how the heck do I do that starts. And this is not a very easy task for teenagers and maybe for adults as well. So I wanna also invite you, if that doesn't feel like the right move to go ahead and try to pat your head and rub your belly. You might notice your head's padding in a circle. That always happens to me. It's just a way to get both sides of our brain talking to each other. From here, you might just shake out your arms. One sigh. Standing or seated, we're gonna focus on our wrists now. So I'm standing with my feet pressed into the ground. I have a soft bend in my knees. I notice cracks and pops. You might notice the same. And then you can go ahead and draw your hands together and maybe make a roller coaster. 
This is an invitation to add any little dance move that you'd like. I have quite a few dancers in my group. And then for a moment here, you can press your palms down into the ground and maybe draw your chin towards your chest. From here, you can bring your chin, your neck back to neutral and send your arms up towards the ceiling if that feels okay. If it's too much to clasp your hands, you can separate them. And then from here, explore going from side to side. This is when the room, I get a lot of, ah, oh, my back, a lot of expressions. So you're welcome to share. Or you might not notice anything just yet. And that's okay too. From here, just let your arms come to your side. And before we move into a bit more movement, I'll invite y'all to take a couple breaths together. So as we inhale, we can stretch our arms up towards the ceiling. And as you exhale, let your arms come back down. Two more times, moving with your breath. And one more, this could be a big, loud breath or a soft, quiet breath. From here, you might want any last shakes or movements, and then we'll find our way to our seat if we were standing and come back into the space. I really like doing standing centering. That was great. Me too. And occasionally they are like sometimes uh, in particular, like on a Thanksgiving, they let them sleep late. And so they were so tired when they got there. They were so groggy that we we did the same sort of thing seated. But for the most part, after we say our names and chat a bit, we stand up. Just to point out what I really liked about your practice is when you would say, I notice. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, that was a, that. Did it feel a certain way for you when I said those that phrase? It actually it felt like it made a connection because I noticed the same thing in my body, mm-hmm. and so um, I liked that you made it personal, so it wasn't a projection. Um, yeah, so I liked I liked the word notice. I thought that was uh, subtle and invita- invitational. That was my intention. So <laughs> it was received. It was perfect. It was great. So, so you, I know that you had said you had a 13 year, you know, career practicing gymnastics, right? I'm sure it was um, one of those, you know, sports and activities that takes over your whole life. Will you tell us a little bit about your history and how you got into this work? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I I can even start there, like with gymnastics in the sense that like my relationship to movement was super disciplined. It was like, you have to do these, like do these exercises in order to be strong and be good at the beam or the floor um, or whatever. And I didn't really even find yoga until college. And I went with like a boyfriend, (laughs) no longer with, but um, just kind of shows you the value and all. 
And I really, really just loved um, the gentle movement because I was so used to such like aggressive movement and having lots of pain in my body and and pushing through it. Um, Yeah. So that was sort of how I found yoga. And then when I became a teacher and through Teach for America, like uprooted my life, moved to El Dorado, Arkansas, it was incredibly stressful to this day, the most stressful experience of my life. And so I definitely tapped in to yoga um, while I was there and then became really inspired by um, resources out there for how to bring like mindfulness into the the classroom. And so I never did yoga with my students. I I wasn't a yoga teacher at the time, but the aspect of like self-awareness and being aware of of uh, if I was taking things personally and being aware of how I was responding to kids and the way they were responding to me, like deeply resonated with me. And so when I left um, teaching to go to grad school, I studied restorative justice. Um, I understood the ways yoga could be a part of that and then found PYP and the rest just sort of uh, came came together. So does that kind of answer the question? It was a long road to actually finding uh, yoga. What, you know, and we'll do a little personal. I know we're all here to hear about youth programming, but I would just love to hear you share with our audience personally, because maybe they haven't had an opportunity to meet or speak with you. Um, you know, it, it sounds like your time in Teach for America informed your choice to go into restorative justice. Um, will you talk about what you saw in the classroom and, 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 and what you want to see different? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'd love to give to you a little background on the town that I was in because it's extremely unique, like to Arkansas and I think I think nationwide. So um El Dorado is like 50% white, 50% people of color, and there's a pretty big uh like um poverty divide among those lines as well, but there's also a a lot of diversity in terms of who's poor. So in a classroom, in any classroom, you can have like extremely wealthy kids. You can have extremely poor kids. And as an AP teacher, I tried to get all those kids um, in the space in front of me. And so there was a lot of tension and then especially more tension when Donald Trump was elected. And I was teaching history and politics by my second and third year. And so a lot was going on in that space. And when you're a first year teacher, you know, I don't know any first year teacher that like doesn't yell or get super stressed out or doesn't write kids up. But by my third year, I was writing zero kids up. And what changed for me was the way that I was understanding my students' behavior and the way I was responding to it. Um, And as a result, um, nobody was being written up. I was aware that the behavior was likely like a manifestation of an emotion or a feeling or something that was happening likely at home. Um, and the way that I could respond could either further activate their fight or flight or freeze, or it could help them get into the more front and center parts of their brains to react accordingly. So that was all happening. And, you know, I don't want to call out El Dorado for this because I think it's a nationwide issue, but like they were incarcerating um, students of color or not incarcerating. They were suspending students of color at twice the rate of white students. And unless you believe they're twice as bad, um, then there's like something's got to give. And so it was also an exploration for me of the way I perceived different behaviors 
and the kids that were saying and doing the things that they were doing. Um, and so in, in doing all that, I knew punishing in the classroom just won't work. And so that's really what led me into um, into restorative justice and understanding the brain of teenagers and how to help them feel more calm so that they can learn. I mean, you can't learn when you're scared. <laughs> so, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that story with our audience. And so I know that from your personal journey that yoga supported you in times of stress and um, times of the unknown, right? Of just not knowing what's going to happen next. And so what made you kind of put the pieces together of like youth and yoga and restorative justice? Yeah. So I, while I was, I wrote I wrote like a big paper, um, a program planning paper on what it would be like to implement restorative justice at the high school. It was a it was a thought process. So it wasn't something that would likely it was an assignment. Right. It wasn't a project. And so I thought through the whole thing and that just got me Googling like prison and yoga, because I guess the, the piece to this that I should um, add is that I became deeply aware of the school to prison pipeline as well. Why I was an educator and I'd have a lot of students coming literally from jail or alternative school right into the classroom and ha- figuring out how to like help them regulate so that they can just like be present in the classroom was a big deal. So it was just like a Google search. And then I had a, um, uh, my advisor, I was like, Hey, is it super like strange that I want to look into like prison yoga for my capstone? And she was like, no, go for it. So that was really, um, encouraging. Cause I think I was the only one in my class kind of going down that what feels like a random path if you're not immersed in this like we are now so that yeah that's what got me there google and like restorative justice and in my own practice but it was very um like natural the way it all it all came together it revealed itself Mm. such a yogi thing to say but it's true <laughs> and, I, and I feel like every webinar we've had of the program directors or other facilitators within prison yoga it's very similar story. Like I remember Jeff last year, like he saw an article in a newspaper and the path just kind of opened to him, right? That it's like, it's a little bit of an internal spark and it's a, a knowing. Um, and then everything kind of um, falls together or falls away, whichever. Mm-hmm. Right. So I love hearing that that was your experience too. Yeah. I, I'm also someone that's like, when I was a teacher, if they were like, oh, you don't want so-and-so they're bad. I'm like, bring it bring them to me. Like they're my most favorite kids to work with. And all of the ones that were quote unquote bad, um, were the ones that like give all the hugs at the end of the year and like, you know, have the Yeah. So. Yeah. Have, have the transformation and ha- they have the yeah. connection. Yeah. Yeah. So when did you start teaching? So you teach in a juvenile detention center. Mm-hmm. And I know every state is different. So please give as much information as possible um, because I don't know um, what every state's system looks like as well. So will you tell us about your state's system and and who and who goes there and why? Yeah, definitely. So um, I'm fortunate to be in one of the bigger cities in Arkansas. So that means that like there's a jail 
10 minutes from my house. It's not a place I had to like really travel far or wide to find or discover, but we have the county system and then we have the state system, right? And a lot of times kids that end up in the detention center are awaiting their sentence. They might be serving short sentences and um, they also are kind of the ones that are in and out of the system a lot. And so a judge might become really familiar with them and know like so-and-so has got not so good home life, we're going to put them here right now. Technically, and from what I've read online, because a lot of this information um, isn't available when it comes to youth, at the center where I work, which is a juvenile detention center, county level facility, they're only supposed to be there for a maximum of 90 days. Um, I'll say, though, that I have a couple kids there right now that have been in class for much longer than that. And that's just because they don't even have a date for their, um, their trial. I don't know all the factors that go into that, but I know the director there is very stressed and upset that that's the case. And so there's a really wide range of of reasons why they might end up um, at this facility and other county facilities. And then we have um, also in the state DYS, the Division of Youth Services, and they oversee our state prisons. And so if a kid is sentenced and ends up being sentenced for a long term, they'll go to whichever prison makes the most sense for um, for them. And I say that because a lot of the prisons specialize in like certain behaviors and they have certain needs. So they'll place kids based on um, those needs. So we're actually in talks right now with DYS to start bringing programming to the prisons. But right now I teach at a jail. Um, I'll called a detention center with um, kids that are in and out, but a lot that stay there for a while. And they have school. They have to have school. And so they get out every morning. They go to class. We do yoga. They go back to class. Um, And so there's a lot more opportunity for services than there would be at like an adult facility because they're required to provide education. And these are still students that are considered under the Little Rock School District, even though they're in jail and not going to any of the other schools. And I can see why you're the perfect candidate to be offering yoga to incarcerated youth, right? Because you were a teacher and are a teacher still, right? So you have all this experience and you're able, you're, but you are providing yoga in the classroom is what yeah, I mean. Exactly. Yoga in the classroom, it just looks a little different um, than it would in a school. So how did you get involved with this program? So for me, um, we have an organization here in Little Rock called Compassion Works for All, and they provide mindfulness services to different facilities. And so they were already doing this work. um, And I was put in contact with the executive director and she happened to be going out um, for surgery. And they knew that I was like newly certified. I worked for prison yoga, you know, they knew my background. And so um, I went in on her behalf and then it ended up kind of transitioning to becoming like my program, like not on purpose and not intentionally, but I think as an organization, they were shifting gears. And so it shifted to like, okay, Nicole is the teacher now. Um, And that was in 2019. And I had stayed teaching there once a week through up until the pandemic began. Um, And then I took a big gap and then during COVID and then we went back. I say that because I don't know, like if folks listening also kind of come from this kind of space, but Little Rock is sort of like a, everybody knows everybody. Um, it's not like in Los Angeles or places where we're like trying to break down <laughs> the defenses and figure out a contact where we can get inside. This is like, I was like two people 
removed from from getting inside. And um, I really appreciate being in like communities like that where you can you can find your contacts. So um, I'm super good friends now with the new executive director for Compassion Works for All, and he's actually not a yoga teacher. And so in discussion, we we sort of um, agreed to like be partners and collaborators. And so they're providing meditation classes like at an adult facility next door the hour after I provide yoga. And so we there's meditation in in our classes, but that's just an, an extra hour of it. Right. And so, um, I was, I'm able to like work in collaboration with this, with this local facility, but that's who got me in the door. And I really appreciate them for that. And then what ended up happening was I started to get feedback from the staff that I treated the kids differently, the people that were there before. And so they were like, you don't yell at the kids. The kids say that they really enjoy this class. And so they started to see that it's not just that it's yoga, but it's intentional yoga that is taught in a specific way. Like the, the assistant or the director, I didn't know it was a director at the time. It was just someone sitting in on the class um, said to me, I see what you do and I see why you do it. Hmm. And I think that intention really resonated with them. And then they started getting really excited about the program and, and talking to other people about it. I love that. And so for our audience, you know, maybe someone who might not be in, uh, know about trauma-informed yoga, will you give us a little brief about trauma-informed yoga? And then um, sub-question, how you teach? Yeah, yeah, totally. So trauma-informed yoga is such a, I feel like, now it can be something very specific and it can be something very, um, just like an, an umbrella term. And I think in prison yoga project, we see it as a framework and a container for how to show up rather than like a specific set of, of cues and, and things like that. So the intention behind trauma-informed yoga is to provide a space that's accessible to everyone with the knowledge that most of the people in the room have experienced trauma. And that it likely lives in their bodies. And in doing so, we create safety and choice around poses so that no one ever feels forced in, into anything. It is very much an autonomous practice for people to get back into their body. Also knowing um, what we know about trauma is people become disassociated from their bodies to survive really challenging experiences. So there's an intention in trauma-informed class and in our methodology to invite people to notice the sensation that are happening in their body. Um, I think I don't do that as intensely as I would with adults, but it still, um, it still comes into play. And then specifically how we teach is we set, and I, I set up in a circle. So we, we practice in a circle. I stay on the mat. The kids stay on the mat, unless there's a game. There is one game where we get off the mat, but it's super fun. And I'll hopefully share about that one um, later. Um, I do all the practices with them. And then they are not forced to do these poses or, or even to like breathe in a certain way. Right. And so to set up the class, um, I always, you know, make the statement, this is your class. You have choice over how you do the poses. I'd like to share with you what participation looks like today, because like caveat start, you know, um, if there are some officers or people at that facility where if they see them just sitting, they're going to yell at them. And I want at all costs to avoid yelling in, in this space. And so what I've been saying to them lately that seems to really work is participation can look like sitting and breathing. 
It can look like just being present to what's happening in the room or even lying down and closing your eyes. What it doesn't look like is side chatter with the person next to you or anything that makes it harder for other people to do yoga. Simply saying that has eliminated almost all side chatter because I think with kids, they're going to test boundaries. That's just reality. It's okay. Um, But just kind of setting the expectation of you have so many different choices, but this is not an option becomes really, really helpful in behavior management. So if like side chatter does happen, also sometimes all I have to do is look or I say, Hey, you okay. Or eyes back on me. And I don't have to yell. I don't have to, um, even really redirect most of the time. And then this avoids the officers coming in and yelling at them to like, listen to me or, or respect me. And then on the side, you know, I'm also talking to the officers, what, like why I'm doing uh, what I'm doing. Um, someone's asked if I can reshare what I say when, when boundaries are, are being challenged. And so, yeah, just to like um, give an example, if I notice two kids talking, first thing is I don't say anything. I just look at them <laughs> like, and maybe it's even while I'm talking. The second thing I say is, Hey, so-and-so are you okay? Assumption being like, maybe they're talking out of like a need or a concern. So not even wanting to place blame. And then I guess the third, if it continues is a reminder to the whole group. Remember, this does not count as participation. So flat out saying it, but what I don't do is call out an individual person unless I know them really, really well. And I have a strong relationship um, with them. Uh, Yeah. I don't call them out. I don't yell. And then on on top of that, um, I almost always do a repair at the end of a class. If I feel like anything I've said has challenged their relationship or trust with me. So if I noticed somebody was talking a lot and I had to address it, or I noticed a behavior was happening that I didn't get to address. I'll come up to them at the end of class and I'll say, Hey, I noticed this. Do you want to tell me a little bit more about that? And often there's a reason I got court tomorrow. I don't feel very good today. You know? And so you can say, okay, I'm moving forward. Like, you know, this is my expectation. This is, these are all the different things you can do when you're in that situation. So we talk it through. And a lot of times it ends with like a fist bump. Thanks. Cool. See you next week. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I just, I love everything that you've just said. And I, what I really love is that none of it is emotionally charged. Right. And so again, that coming back to that practice of not taking anything personally. um, And so, and especially if, if we're teachers coming into a yoga space like this, right. We have um, potentially we have rubrics and part of that is participation. Right. And you're like, it's go- participation. I feel like we want to honor what participation looks like for each child and it's going to look different. And so we can't really grade on this equal level, right? Or if, if we're in the classroom, right? Or we can't, um, we don't need to observe on this equal level. And so I love that you gave an offering of this is what participation looks like and this is what it doesn't look like. I think that's so powerful. You do need, I, you do need that boundary setting with kids, right? You do, because again, they'll keep, they'll keep pushing it. And if you don't set the boundary, they're going to test you until you make that boundary clear. Kids want to be, um, kids like routine, kids like structure. That's like something that they crave. And so to be able to provide that with still a container of choice is the best. And I see someone saying, I do too. Yeah, me too. Right. So to just be like, Hey, you can do whatever you want today. Well, they're going to do whatever they want. (laughs) 
<laughs> they're going to see how you react to it. So you want to give them a sort of window of what's appropriate and not appropriate because they also might not know what isn't appropriate. They need to be taught um, what what is kind of like a, allowed and not allowed. I think um, I think it's a safety thing as well. Yes. I think it comes creating that container, um, you know, and maybe we're, we're, we're pushing boundaries in some way um, so that we know that the person that is um, holding power in the room has our safety in mind. Yes. Yeah. They want to know um, that you care and, and, that word power always kind of makes me like, you know, like cringe a little bit because I don't want to be this all powerful person that it has total control over them. That that's not the assumption, but it is okay to be a source of guidance. And and so and and what I mean when I say power is I think like um, adult, you know, like you're you're the elder in the room, yes. right? And so and I think and I think within that, it's not necessarily like hierarchical power, but it's like that you that you carry um, wisdom. Right. That like. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's really important to note that, like, most kids don't end up in jail because they have really positive relationships with adults. And I, and I don't want to make assumptions about all of their families. And I, I know that they have people in their life that they love so much, but there's a good chance that there's a broken relationship with an adult somewhere in their experience. And so to be a trusting adult that sets boundaries and shows love, but doesn't like let them get away <laughs> with everything is, is really, really important that they see that. Which ties into the repair opportunity that I think is really valuable and important. Yeah. 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 Anytime you can have kind of like, I, it's harder in a, in a jail than a classroom to have one-on-one space and opportunity, but when they're rolling up the mats, when they're taking out the mats, Hey, like, you know, I noticed this, or let's talk about this or yeah. And, and often something else I learned as a teacher is you don't want the first thing you say to someone to be negative, right? So even if you have this gut feeling that that kid is going to be like uh, causing a scene, talk to them first, like in a positive way, like, like start to build the relationship. Cause you might know that down the road, you're going to have to say something that they're not going to love, but if they have a positive moment with you first, it's going to go so much better. Um, Yeah. So what I intuitively hear that so much of this work is about relationships. Yeah. Yes. And so how does that, can you tell tell us more about how that shows up in the classroom and, and how you show up to facilitate positive relationships? Yeah. And I think it, one comes down to things I've already said about like guidelines and, and expectations, just simply being able to state what the space is going to be like can help them feel safer in their bodies. And I want to acknowledge I'm, I'm using the word safe loosely. Like I, I don't want to proclaim that I can make someone feel safe in jail or that they even have to feel safe in jail, but simply what I'm saying, safety, I'm saying hopefully an opportunity to access their parasympathetic nervous system or their, their cool response, their rest response so that they can be in a place where they can even build a relationship. Right. Cause if they feel threatened or scared, we're not going to have those like nice positive feelings that are going to lead to a relationship. So yeah, setting this space um, first is like the container for a relationship. And then I think um, showing up every week 
And if I'm not showing up every week, telling them why I didn't show up um, is is really, really important. I bring teachers in with me now, one's on the call, uh, Lauren, and uh, letting them meet people that might substitute for me. They're never going to like meet their sub without me, if that makes sense. Like they're going to know them in the in the relationship to me and then they can take over. And if I can't be there, so showing up Um, on holidays, I bring candy. Like, um, it, it's really fun. I, I set that boundary with myself because when I first started going in, the other organization provided treats every time. And I found that to be distracting. And I did not want the reason they come to yoga to be about getting like candy or snacks. And so I've changed it to an opportunity to celebrate if it's like Thanksgiving or other holidays, but they know not to expect it every time. Cause that's another thing. If you show up day one with candy and then you stop bringing it, that's like kind of letting them down. And so you have to be really, really intentional about anything that you promise or that you're going to do. Cause if you don't do it, the image to the um, relationship and likely a pattern that they are used to. So it's all the things outside of yoga. <laughs> I think like your interaction with them, when you walk in, when you leave, remembering their names, saying their names, saying it's good to see you again, all of that. Uh, leads to a more fluid and fun yoga class. I just, I, I have so many more questions that I want to ask. Um, so what does a yoga class look like? What, what tools do you offer? Yeah, I would love to, like I, like we had kind of talked about, I'd love to just talk through what my, what the class looks like. Um, and then I'm welcome. And then I want to like bring in sometimes like opportunities for uh, like, when misbehavior occurs, how you might, like how I respond to it. And I want to also acknowledge before I say all of this, that this is what I've found works in this context. And it's not like a prescription, but I do know that like when I had started knowing what other people did is like how you start, right? It's like a groundwork to then build your authenticity um, on top of it. So I start class, um, as I had mentioned, like they'll come in the room, they'll set up mats. Um, Sometimes it starts late. I don't stress about that. That's just like the reality, I think, of of being in any facility. And so they're seated on the mat. We go around and we share our names, a fun icebreaker, um, their speed. And these kids range anywhere from 11 to 18. But I'd say the average is like 14 to 16. But sometimes I get 10 and 11-year-olds. The other thing I'd say, too, is sometimes it's, it's a mixed gender space, which can add to opportunities for misbehavior. Um, So sometimes it's all boys or kiddos that identify as male. And then sometimes it's, um, it's mixed. And I've been trying to advocate to separate it out for there to be a male and female time. Um, but we haven't gotten there yet. So during COVID, the numbers were lower at the facility, which meant that we only, we could do one group for a full hour. Um, Now the numbers are increasing. And so they have asked me to split that time into two half hour sessions. Admittedly, that doesn't feel like enough time, but it's where we're at right now. And we're working on um, building in more class times 
through contract, which I'll talk about after this. So hopefully that helps set the scene a little bit. And there's at least normally two correctional officers in the space while this is all going on. And often one of their classroom teachers in the circle practicing with us. And it's anywhere from just me as a facilitator to up to three people. So after we do that introduction, we stand, we move through our body. I just make sure all the things are warmed up, right? Our wrists, our neck. Um, and then we find mountain pose and we talk about this sturdy pose. And we have a popular mountain here in Little Rock, Pinnacle Mountain. So sometimes I'll bring that in and, and talk about like the feeling of the mountain. And then I do sun salutations, but I break them up into two parts. So we do a half sun salutation, which is, you know, we inhale, we forward fold, halfway lift, lower and come back up. And we practice that a few times. And then we practice a vinyasa going from plank to our belly, to cobra, to either back to plank or down dog. You never have to do down dog if they don't want to, but I do mention that it's a really good stretch. So if you want to give it a try, give it a try. And most of them do. So we practice that a couple of times. And then I say, let's put it all together. So there's opportunity like in between that for them to ask questions. And sometimes there's kids that don't want to do that vinyasa part. And so like last week or this week, I modeled doing it standing. So we will literally like we stand with our arms in front, lower to the ground. We stand in Cobra and we push back and down dog. And when I have co-facilitators, they can model one way and um, someone else can model the other. So I think so. Let me I just want to see if I can post how long are your classes? Yeah, I, I will. I'll get that. Um, so we do that. And then um, I'll spend about depending on how long we have some time doing yoga poses. So if it is a half hour class, sometimes the introduction in that centering and just moving take like a third of that time. And that's okay. Because if you don't have that opportunity, it's not going to flow as well. Then we spend about 10 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes doing poses, maybe squeeze a game in there. And then five minutes of centering when it's an hour, I'll have about at least 10 minutes for that intro centering kind of playful time, spend a little bit longer on sun salutations and then spend a little bit longer on yoga poses. Then we'll do a game and then we'll cool down and chill. So for the yoga poses, they're almost always the, the same thing. And that's true in my adult classes and my youth classes. So we start with tree pose. They really like tree pose. Um, and then we move into chair pose. And that's where we have the opportunity to talk about challenge and the and choice and, and when you want to come out of the pose. Um, and then we move into warrior two, reverse warrior, side angle. And the whole time I'm checking in with them like, oh, what's this pose called again? How do you do this pose? Right. And the ones that have been there a while help us out. And then lately I've been adding a swoop forward to warrior one. And we go like this with our arms. We lift up, we lower, we open, and we close. And we do that a couple of times in Warrior One. They seem to love that. And if kids aren't standing doing the Warrior One shape, they can be seated and moving their arms because we know when we move and we breathe together, it's an opportunity to co-regulate. So we do that. Um, and then we move into a game. So if it's an only a half hour class, sometimes we lose the game, but I judge based on energy. 
So if we're like super tired, um, maybe it's a good thing if we play a game. So I, I, I will make adjustments. I, I, I have this uh, structure, but it's always mendable depending on um, what's going on that day. So for games, um, always, almost always play Yogi Says. And this is a game I learned taking yoga eds training with Kate Beckel as the um, trainer. And so that is like Simon Says, except Yogi Says. So if Yogi Says, Warrior Two. You do warrior two. Yogi doesn't say Yogi says, and you just go warrior two and they do it. That's eh, right. That's that's kind of I don't want to say wrong. <laughs> As a result, though, um, you have to they can choose to do a push up, sit up or air jumping jack. And they have tons of fun with this game. The more they learn the poses, the kids take over and they lead the game. Something that I specifically like about this is that um, it's an opportunity to practice impulse control. So they can kind of practice. I can see this person doing something, but I have to listen very carefully to make sure that I'm supposed to do this. So um, really, really great opportunity. Some other games I play are graveyard. That doesn't seem to be a triggering word, but if you feel like it might, you can change the name. But essentially they have they we're all in yoga poses and someone's in the middle walking around on graveyard shift. And then if the person's not looking, you can move. You can do a different pose. It's so fun. <laughs> so um, I tend to like show them you can get really creative and you can like creep up behind the person right when they look, you got to freeze. Um, and if they catch you, same thing, you can do like a jumping jack or sometimes we play with the ball and um, it's really fun. I probably have more fun than anyone else because I just love being playful in games. Um, but that can be a really good opportunity if you've noticed kids aren't like, um, like they're not really participating with their bodies. This is where they'll start to with like Yogi says and, and games. And if they're choosing to sit out, it's totally okay. I think you'll find that they're naturally going to want to ease in and start to do it. Um, occasionally by request, the kiddos like crow pose. So we might do crow pose. I see someone saying one, two, three, red light. Yeah. Any game where they're like moving their bodies, practicing impulse control is super, super great. Another thing that I do for a game is um, holding boat pose and we pass around a textbook. So the my intention behind this is collaboration and community. And so before they start this, they pick out often the biggest, heaviest textbook that they can find. Like that is their goal. Um, I don't tell them to do that, but that's what they always come back with because we have a shelf against uh, the wall. So we go around in a circle and we say, okay, how many times should we try to pass this textbook around while holding bow posts? And they'll, they'll start off with like 20, say 20. Okay. You know, and it, that's too much. And so we, we like negotiate. Um, but something I always say before we begin is how can we support people when they're ready to come down? Because if one person comes down, the game ends and, you know, they'll say something like, it's okay. Like, I'm not going to be mad at them. So we, we talk through those scenarios because as the adult in the room, you have to anticipate that being a potential 
issue. Um, so we play the game. They realize how hard it is. They renegotiate how many times around they want to go. And then at the end, um, I'll say, how did that feel? And they say, that was fun. And I say, no, when we work in community and we're like, we work towards a common goal, it feels good in our body. So how can you like continue to build this community outside of this game? So opportunity for discussion. After all of that, we come back. Um, by then, they are very ready to cool down. And so I always do some sort of twist um, side to side. Uh, occasionally, we stretch our hips. We don't always, though. And then we go into a final resting pose for class. Um, I saw someone just ask about boat pose. That one's kind of hard for me to <laughs> demonstrate, but I'm going to try. Uh, this is boat pose. Right. Yep. And so you might also, you can demonstrate it with their hands on the ground or with them holding their legs. And that gives, that makes it more accessible to kids in, in different bodies. But no matter the body, I've seen everybody make boat pose in some way. You can also say, put your feet on the ground. So as long as they're in the general shape, um, it counts, right? There's no right or wrong way unless they're they're feeling um, hurt. And so I want to note as well that when we lead into final resting pose, I always say, I always call it final resting pose for class today. And I do this even in my studio classes because to me, final resting pose is kind of triggering because I feel like that can also be used in like a funeral sense. And so um, I... I, I just like choose to use that language. And I say, this can be lying down. You can be seated. You can be on your belly, your side. Um, and we find that pose. I always leave them through a body scan. It's never a quiet um, resting opportunity. We go through the whole body and then I'll say maybe like, okay, we're going to try three breaths here and then we'll come back up. The other thing I say is um, my eyes are going to stay open. I'm not going to walk around the room. You're welcome to close your eyes. I'll give you a heads up if I notice somebody new coming in and moving around this space because there's constantly people going in and out. So you can't promise them that it's going to be a quiet, safe space in that moment. You can, again, set up that container. So then we come up. Um, I invite them to inhale, bring their hands together, delight in me, season honors the light and goodness in you. Namaste. Um, that's really the only Sanskrit word. I use other than that, it's English. I choose to say namaste because it feels relative to the group of folks that we are working with. They love it. I explain that it is a Sanskrit word. I explain a little bit about where it comes from. And then we say Shanti and we go Shanti, 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 Shanti to everybody in the room. And they love doing that as well. So that's, again, like I know there's a lot of discussion around cultural appropriation. To me, in that specific moment, it feels very right and very intentional. And so um, I keep those in the practice. Ooh. <laughs> I want to note as well that I'm actually um, meeting with my two co-facilitators next week after class, and we're going to write all this out. Like we're going to map out a class because they are soon going to be subbing for me when I travel for a prison New York project. And so that there will soon be a resource that kind of lists this all out on a page that we can share. And I also already had games that were put together by my former co-facilitator that can be shared out as well. Yeah. So we'll make those available probably in the youth section on the um, PYP website, but wanted to, to note that. And yeah. you mentioned something which I think brings in this trauma-informed um, kind of wider umbrella, you know, is you come in with an idea, but depending on the room, 
that might or will shift. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another aspect of having a trauma-informed space or a trauma-informed facilitator is that you're teaching to the room. Yes, absolutely. And I think just knowing that like, and you also, you get to know the kids, you might know, oh, those kids really like games or those kids might get a little bit riled up in 30 minutes playing Yogi Says without the opportunity to to chill out a little bit. So that might not be the best thing to do. You want to have in mind, how do we want them to feel when they're going back? into a class or, or to their, their cell. And so, um, it's all about how much time you're being given and, and how you can balance their nervous system while they're with you. I know we have a couple other things that, um, we wanted to talk about today. So, um, and you, knowing the different kids, right. And knowing how they might behave, will you tell us more tools that you use, um, to maybe mitigate, um, adverse behavior? Um, any other tools that you want to share with us? Definitely. And I realized now I said so much of that already, but I'm like, what was my other offering that I wanted to share? But I'm going to think about specific things that happen. Okay. So one is crow pose. Crow pose is like an opportunity for great focus and um, like confidence. It's also an opportunity where things can go terribly, terribly wrong. Um, and one, we know teens have like very flexy, stretch, stretchy, kind of, um, not controlled limbs. And so I've had kids like go to lean into crow and then they're actually in a handstand and they literally don't know how they got there or they just like to pop up and go flat (laughs) on the ground. So if I'm explaining a challenging pose like crow, everybody stops. And I'll say, I know it's going to be really, really tempting to mimic me and do this as I'm explaining it, but I need you to please sit down for safety reasons. They all do. And I'll know as I go, I notice you're all still sitting and I appreciate you so much for that. So I'm really narrating good behavior during this. Um, And I always say how to do it. And I say, we have to keep our eyes on the front of the mat because if we don't, we're going to roll forward. And I like your brains exactly as they are. So kind of make it funny. And the kids that have been there and keep coming back, they're able to tell them you have to look forward. So sometimes I ask the other group. And so then they do crow pose and normally we can avoid catastrophes, right? The other thing I I make sure we're not too close to the desks around the room or things like that. So I think if you have an opportunity to challenge them in any way, creating room and space for clear directions first are really, really, really important. I see someone asking if we do other inversions. Not really. Um, It, to me, I don't feel like I can offer them a lot of things that won't land in some sort of injury, but crow pose feels to be be the best. And, you know, we do, we do forward fold, we do a lot of ragdoll. So they still have the opportunity for like their head to go below their heart, but nothing that could result in, um, injury. Cause, cause they do, they just, they just like kick up. They just don't have the same body awareness. And then when you add like ADHD and trauma into the mix and those two things are related, um, you have to start really, really slow. Um, I think as well, being mindful of like what you offer the group. So for example, um, one of the staff was like, whoever holds this pose longest gets hot Cheetos. My, my alarm system in my head was like, this is going to end bad. 
this is going to end bad. And it did. They were arguing, right, about like who won and who gets the Cheetos and all those things. And so anytime you're creating a situation where like, for example, somebody else gets to be Yogi and Yogi says, you want to give everybody an option to participate. Um, Another game, when we play graveyard, there there is a lot of moments there where they can slip in those socks if they're going from mat to mat trying not to be caught so we talk very much about why we cannot run if i see running we all stop and we practice walking so just being like you honestly in conclusion want to be 10 steps ahead of of what could potentially go wrong and prepare for that as much as you possibly can so be proactive over reactive. If you then start to see something go wrong or misbehavior happen, that's when we address the whole ship. And then you have the opportunity to repair at the end. Um, all of this is in line with science and knowing the way the teen brain operates. They have much more dopamine being released into their system than an adult or a little child. And so they crave these like fun, exciting experiences, and they have the ability to know the consequences of their actions, but that is not as present or forward as that really good feeling. And so we want to work with that. We don't want them not to have fun or joy, but we need to model like smart thinking and and making good choices and helping their brains get to that. Let's think about the consequence because that helps them literally build fibers in their brain to pause and think better next time. Like any moment is an opportunity for learning and specifically games, like all the way can, you can make so much more than a game. Thank you. (laughs) I want to just keep moving us forward. I can comment and talk with you so much about what I hear. Um, But let's talk about, um, so what I heard you say is that, um, you know, building relationship is consistency, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think as an umbrella of Prison Yoga Project, um, we do believe in having these programs be paid for. Um, and not have them be on a volunteer basis because um, that creates consistency and that creates potential um, safety, right? Mm -hmm. Creating these relationships where someone is able to show up over and over and over again, Um, you know, and there are budgets for this kind of work. So will you tell us about maybe what a potential budget looks like and how you get a program funded? Yeah, absolutely. Because I'm in the process of this right now. Um, So I'm fortunate that working for Prison Yoga Project is my full-time job. And on any day, I can be grant writing, training writing, program monitoring. And so I'm able to bring all of these skills into my role. But we do make a lot of resources for folks to be able to do this as well. And we offer tons and tons of support based on our experiences. So I want to make sure I share that because if you are a Prison Yoga Project program, we can support you in taking these steps to, to try to find funding. So in my specific situation, um, I I love the staff at this facility. They're amazing, they're supportive, and they want to see more yoga. And so I shared with them, you know, I'm happy to continue to come in once a week. I can manage that with my schedule, but they asked me to come in more than once a week. And I said, unfortunately, I can't do that without funding. That will allow me to hire and train more facilitators and be able to provide more programs. It will ensure that it's good candidates and a diverse group of people. And so they got behind it, but they don't necessarily 
necessarily have the funding at that facility. So um, I'm in discussion with the LRSD education coordinator because the students are still under LRSD. They are entitled to programming. Like they deserve to have programs that kids in in public school are are also getting. So we're looking and negotiating with the school district to find the the funding to be able to pay for this programming. And so from there, we have like a proposal template that explains what makes up a PYP program and like little teeny no soon one day we're going to have a workbook that I was working on this morning (laughs) hopefully 2023 um but we have a template to help explain like the benefits and and why this is so necessary we also have a um budget template that Bill and I created after many many rounds of of calculating the cost of these programs that we can support folks with too. So when I did this um, for my facility, it came out to about 11 grand for a 12 week program that's offered three days a week. And I don't know if that sounds like a lot to you or cheap to you, but what that includes is being able to pay facilitators $50 an hour. And if a class is an hour, a facilitator would be paid an hour and a half because they're never in and out in an hour and and we value their time because this facility is close. I did not include a gas stipend, but we do include that for, for places that are far away. It also includes an hour and a half a week of program director time. If y'all know me and a lot of people on this call do, I can't even get to your emails as quickly as I'd like to. I can't also be the one who's like monitoring all of this as closely. And so it it pays for somebody to be able to make sure the teachers are showing up, data is being collected, talking with the um the facility staff. And that um it doesn't take an hour and a half every week, but if you were to divide it over the amount of time it would take over 12 weeks. That's what we would estimate. So all of that is built in. Additional money is built into um, Prison Yoga Project's core team. And we're doing everything from helping collect data, analyze data, develop these resources like the um, curriculum, further develop programming. So that goes back into the organization to continue to make these resources to do programming. And then there's small things like payroll fees, admin fees, all normal things that any like organization does. So we consider all of that. We also consider the cost of mats and blocks, and we can order those for facilities by budgeting that in. And thus far, it's been warmly received. I And I'd say we're just looking now to find the money. And so if you demonstrate for them an effective program, they will work with you. And we're hopeful to be able to fund this by September. Um, because of the work at this facility, um, the director there, super kind, was like bragging about the program program to a contact at DYS. And so I received a call a couple months ago from the Division of Youth Services saying they wanted yoga at their facilities too. And the immediate question was, how much? What is it like? So we want to get to that point where that's one of the first questions, right, being asked. And so I went through two rounds of meetings with the DYS team to explain like the benefits of the program, the cost of the program. I followed up with a proposal and I toured the site closest to me. And so same thing, they're looking for um, the the funding now to be able to contract. And I'm staying very set on, we will not volunteer. 
any more time than we do already. And it's not because I don't want to reach the kids. I really, really, really want to reach the kids. Um, It's that I want to reach them sustainably and consistently and to just show up a few times or to, to do it in a way that's not like supportive or bringing the best people forward does not feel like it's with good intent. And so that is why um, I am not adding any more classes until I know that I can pay um, facilitators. Yeah. And so I feel like two more things and then we've got some questions rolling in. Um, will you tell us why data collection is, is important? Yeah, absolutely. Um, anytime you can demonstrate the benefit of the programming, you're likely to convince people that might not believe in yoga as a tool for, for, um, for youth and for, and for anyone. And so we have surveys, we're just beginning to utilize them in a youth capacity. And so we have more experience doing this with adults, but we have surveys for youth pre and post asking about their stress. We have surveys you can use like daily that are just like circle how you felt at the beginning of class and at the end. And any way to, to analyze this and aggregate and summarize and just say, hey, this is what the kids are saying about the program right? Um, is really beneficial. And I'll note that when I was discussing the budget with DYS, I mentioned that part of the program director money is so that we can ensure surveys are distributed and data is entered. Um, and they loved that. They were like, we are so glad that you are offering a program with data collection built in because it's one less step for the facility. Like they're so overwhelmed. They, like, they have so much to do as well. So we want to offer them something as like um, full as possible so that we can make their jobs easier. Thank you. Um, and you know, I think working in this, um, you know, I know that we offer a lot of support for people to start and build programs. Um, and so collecting data from one community can benefit other communities, right? So it's, it continues to have us all rise. Um, and so that we can, uh, bring yoga to maybe every facility, right? Getting these, getting yoga into many places. Exactly. It, it helps us demonstrate that this is a professional, effective, evidence-based program um, because that is what they're going to welcome into their facilities. And I guess when I said the word professional, sorry, I'm a, I'm a yogi. And so I move a lot and bend my legs in weird positions to feel comfortable. <laughs> um, but I'm also very, very intentional about the way I dress even more so in a youth facility. And I want to speak to that just for a moment because I do not believe in telling women or female identifying people what they should wear and it ever being a reason for anything. So I'm a firm believer in that. And I'm very intentional about what I wear. Um, This is, I saw someone note before, this is a prison yoga project (laughs) t-shirt actually. And I wear it um, in the facility along with another like black one that we have. And I always wear a tank top underneath and then joggers. And my tank top is tucked into my joggers. So that if my shirt were ever to come up slightly, you're not seeing skin, right? And some facilities might have other rules and like specific colors you can't wear and stuff like that. But I have found out to be like the, you uni- the uniform and what I recommend to my um, co-facilitators as well. I do wear earrings. I wear earrings like this. And actually, um, Anastasia, Sarah's on this call. And I remember a uh, chair practice she led us through and she pointed to her earrings as like a model for something they could focus on if they're becoming like overwhelmed or if they need to like associate with something. And um, I love that. And then I also think it's like kind of my one subtle kind of like radical 
this is the one thing that I can still do <laughs> that, that invites like energy and color and, and joy. And so um, I do that and it's just like a fun talking point. So, and you know, that's how I show up. And then if I'm ever able to be in a space where um, I'm not teaching yoga, like for example, at the adult facility, um, they do graduation. It's really beautiful and special. I might still wear this t-shirt, but I put a blazer over it because I try to look like a badass woman in there because I want them to take me seriously. And it's sometimes it's hard to be taken seriously when you're like in your yoga pants talking about money. And so I, I do pay attention to like how I physically come off, what I'm wearing, what my energy is, um, because it's almost like you're code switching a little bit in, in this space, depending on, um, who you're talking to. And so, yeah, I wanted to speak to that because again, we can wear whatever the the hell we want to wear at the same time. I think it helps for me to be really mindful. And I consider what do I want them to remember about the conversation or the practice that we just did. And I don't want it to be about my physical body. Yeah. And what I'm hearing is that there's so many elements to starting, maintaining and growing a program. It's about how you show up in class. It's about how you show up for the people that run the facility. It's about how you communicate about programming. It's knowing about budgeting, right? So there's all of these elements. Um, And so I think, um, what would you say are other qualities that you look for when you're um, vetting facilitators? Yeah. So we look for leaders. Um, I, not everybody is going to have to do all the things that you just mentioned. And especially it's great when you join an already existing group or you're starting in community with somebody else, because that doesn't all have to fall on you. Um, but we're looking, so we're looking for folks that are experienced with the population they want to serve that have trauma informed background, all of those things, but also people who can advocate and speak to the benefits of yoga. Um, people that are willing to like call or go to a facility and and interface with correctional officers. And that also means that whatever feelings you have towards the system or correctional officers need to be um, moved through in order to be able to show up and and be in community with those folks as well. Um, Because I don't agree with the way the system exists, but I also believe in treating people like humans. And I love the people and the deputies and the correctional officers that I get to work with. And I, I and I want to treat them as, as such too. So it it's a lot. <laughs> and so we're kind of looking for all of that. That's also why we have a program delivery training now where you can go through a lot of the available data. Um, you can understand like the roles we have facilitator and director, you can understand what surveys we have. So we, we have a process to help walk you through this and you're not in it alone. And we're not here to monopolize. Like if you want to go out and teach a program that is not a prison yoga project program, please keep coming to the webinars. We want to support you. But if you want to do it in a way that's like organized and scalable and based on experience, that's sort of what being a prison yoga project program brings with it as well. Very well said. And tying into what you were saying, you know, about, um, you know, that we identify as abolitionists, right? Is that we would like this system to not exist. But the reality of that happening tomorrow is very unlikely. And so we work within the system. And I think that also brings in this, a yogic view as well. You know, may all beings be free from suffering and the causes of suffering. Um, And that includes wardens and correctional officers and the people in the family that that are impacted by... um, 
racist systems. Absolutely. And there are people there that not just in correctional facilities, but there are people that piss me off in life and you better bet that I protest and do all, all the things I need to do. But at the same time, um, 99% of the people I encounter are kind and care about these kids and they just want to do right by them. And they might not have the same training. And so they're trained on how to make sure a fight doesn't like to make sure that they, that they can leave and go home and that the kids don't hurt each other. Right. I'm trained in this. And so it's an invitation to, to all lead this way, but it's, it's not a space to like shame or anything like that. And I think the last thing that I would speak to about the question in the, um, in the chat is, um, you know, what if teachers have concerns around contributing to racist and dysfunctional facilities? Um, you know, if what we just previously said doesn't resonate, um, maybe working with a population or a school district that has a high school to prison pipeline. Um, Mm -hmm. so you're working with, um, kids and families that might be more susceptible to be system impacted. That's where I would say, um, to offer services. Thank you. That's such a good point, especially like alternative schools. If I had like 50 hours in a day, it would be to go to alternative schools. They've even asked me at the facility, the kids, like, can you come to my alternative school? That's another great space. It does not have to be in an environment where you don't feel like you can show up as your best self. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And thank you for saying that too. You know, we don't want to put anyone personally at risk where they feel like they might be more susceptible to being um, targeted even. You know, if you don't feel comfortable in these spaces, you don't need to go. No problem. And I admittedly, like I am a 29 year old white woman who's probably like, and it's like men that work at the facility and some young women, I'm not seen as threatening. They welcome me in with open arms. Like, and so I I recognize my privilege in that. And that is not the experience for everybody. And so I want to name that as well. Yeah. Thank you. Um, we'll jump into some questions that are happening here in the chat. Um, and then for the whole group, I welcome you to start to put your questions into the question and answer box. Um, so again, on your zoom screen, you're going to have the little black bar at the bottom and towards the right hand side, there's a Q and a, um, and you can put your questions in there. Um, so one of the great questions is how can people become trained through prison yoga project? So will you tell everyone our offerings? Yeah. So we have a foundational training um, and that's, I'd say the best entryway into prison yoga project. Even if you've done a trauma informed um, yoga training before, you don't even have to have a prior yoga teacher training background to do this. And it's, it's looking at the system yoga and trauma in the way all those things intersect. It's also an explanation of our view and the view we hold about the work that we do. And so I I really recommend that. And then we have an application to become a facilitator that goes through me. And as you heard me say, I'm very busy. So it's a little bit of like a, it it can take some time um, for us to, to communicate with you, but that's also really intentional. And that's because we see it as like a red flag. If somebody is so eager 
to go inside that it's like they have to do it right now. Like this work is often slow growing and can take a really long time. And we value people's patience and ability to kind of let it all happen when it's supposed to happen. So again, we have a training, we have a facilitator application. And then if you're in a space where we have already existing programs, it's likely that we would point you in that direction to onboard you to existing work. And then if you're in a new space, um, we have this program delivery training, which we want everyone to take, but it is really designed to help folks get off the ground in determining where they might want to start a program. We see you as leaders. like We rely on folks to do a lot of the contact and we're behind the scenes helping you plan and organize and figure out how you're going to get mats and all of that stuff. Um, but we expect the facilitator to kind of be the face of, of PYP. And that's why we we have an application and we care to get to know you because we want to make sure that you're a good fit for us, that we're a good fit for you, and that we're really in alignment around um, what we're trying to do. So again, training, application, and there's more information in, in all of those links. And so I'll also pitch, um, you know, if you're not a 200-hour certified mm-hmm. yoga teacher yet, we also have a 200-hour yoga teacher training. Um, Jen and Shonda run and have created our training. Um, so I want to drop that link there. Uh, I, I know that there was talks of probably having a second cohort. I think summer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We don't necessarily have a specific date yet, um, but you can sign up to continue to be notified um, if you want a more extended training with us. So just to know that you, that we offer that as well. Yeah. Uh, and I, I do kind of want to know for folks that live in areas where you aren't like overpopulated with yoga teachers, I've been bringing in people that are not yet certified, but have every other skill that is extremely important to, to be in that space. And so I bring in um, people who I trust that are former educators that have a strong background in yoga, but most importantly, that know how to show up in this space and be there for this group of kids. And so um I'm not, we do want you to have a yoga teacher training, but if you're out there and you're all alone and you need like an assistant or an intern or a co-teacher that can operate in the space with you, we also welcome that um, as well with the understanding and hope that they'll want to get certified. Um, Not necessarily through us. We'd love that, but you know, we, so I just want to note that because it's a lot easier in like San Diego than it is in places in Arkansas to find a lot of teachers that can that can do this. Um, and there is no wait list for the, the 200 hour. Great. Yeah. Um, just collecting, collecting myself. We've got a lot of questions in here, which is really awesome. Um, I'm just going to go with one in the chat right now. Um, how can people find out if there's a program already in their area? What do you suggest? So we have a map on um, our public facing website and we have a list of all of our active or paused programs. Um, Pause being like they're just on pause because of COVID. You're also welcome to email me and I can I can tell you. Um, So the map or that we track everything on a program dashboard and are being really intentional. about that. There is always the case that it might not be a prison yoga project program. There might be someone teaching yoga or an organization teaching yoga at an existing facility near you. And so it could be possible to join with them and still represent PYP if you want to. Um, And so that, that all depends. There's enough yoga to go around. And so it's also okay if yoga is existing and you want to, you want to go there too. 
this is actually what I was going to say too, when you were saying, you know, um, although we like people to have a 200 hour yoga teacher training, um, that could be a second step, right? If when you're bringing kind of, when you're expanding your program and you're bringing in trustworthy people and where I think that fits in to this trauma informed perspective or umbrella, um, is that we're not teaching yoga in a studio setting. And I think so many yoga teacher trainings teach you to be a yoga teacher for a studio. And so, you know, we're not trying to get 15 poses in 20 poses in. we're not really coming in with an intention of, uh, of a workout or sweat or breath. Right. So the intention for all of this work is completely different. Um, and so, um, finding the right yoga teacher training that works for you, that you're wanting to teach in a non-studio setting, I think is just as important as, um, almost unlearning some of the things that you might have learned in a regular yoga teacher training. Totally. And that's why it's not really a red flag if someone is newly certified as well, because that means there's less unlearning sometimes that needs to happen. I jumped right in and it wasn't because I was confident as like a 200 hour yoga teacher. It was because I was an educator and this was, this population was not new to me. Like I had had lots and lots of experience, um, working with them. And so I felt okay in, in doing that. I do not suggest that like you try out prisoner jail if you're new and you're like, not sure, but if you have certain skills, it it's okay. Um, yeah. Awesome. Um, okay. We're going to keep rolling through the questions. Hopefully everyone can stay because this is really engaged and uh, I'm, I'm really happy for everyone being here. Um, so Doe asks, um, she's giving deep gratitude to you, Nicole, and she's so uh, grateful for all of the, this whole full work that you do uh, for this community and the, for uh, youth and communities. Um, her question is, are we still offering the youth centered yoga teacher training? Um, we talked more about that. Yeah. Thank you, Doe, because that reminded me to say something as well. So um, I think at the moment, our intention is to offer another one this year in partnership with Yoga Ed. We need to have those conversations. And so don't hold me to any um, of that. And then our hope will be maybe down the line, developing one um, through prison yoga project, just based on all of our knowledge and experience that we're collecting. So we have every intention of, con of continuing to provide youth trainings um, we're collaborating on youth trainings because we know this is a big group of our community and we want to make sure y'all feel prepared to work specifically with them. Um, right now, I, I truly like loved um, the yoga ed training, especially part one, um, because I didn't have a great foundation in like the science and the physiology of the teenage body, the specific like brain and and all the games. So all of that was really, really lovely. And so um, things exist out there right now too. If you're like a classroom teacher and you're not certified, you can take a yoga ed training and, and get really good um, tools. So again, Narisa, our intention is to offer another training this year that is youth focused and continue to, to do that uh, every year. You know, and um, just uh, talking about my experience as well. Um, so I teach yoga at, um, and it's a private school, which I had um, a lot <laughs> of hesitation about, right? It's like not necessarily the population or the people that I would want to work with. Um, but the further that I got into the school, um, it's a one-to-one -one learning model and it's kids that um, really struggle. Um, maybe they have neurodiversity. Maybe they have an eating disorder. Maybe... Um, you know, all my students have had a wide spectrum of um, things and trauma they're, they're dealing with. Um, so this next question that comes in and then so basically just saying that our team has a wide range of um, 
experience of working with kids um, and families doing doing yoga and, and mindfulness opportunities. Um, so this next question that we have is, I have a kid with serious ADHD. Um, they feel sorry for him, but it's also disturbing to the classroom and others. Do you have tips? Yeah, I think the first thing I'd ask, like, a, uh, oh my God, what's the word for when you don't say the answer out loud? Uh, type it, we're going to move on. Yeah, yeah. We're going to move on. <laughs> what I'd ask myself in that situation is what is my relationship with that kid? Um, are Am I having like interactions with them that are super positive? If it's not in like a jail, I don't, is it in a jail or is it like a class? Do we know? If we don't know, it's okay. Yeah. If you have the opportunity to build a relationship too with parent or guardian. Okay. So yeah, probably not. Yeah. I think, yeah. So what is the relationship when you're not being frustrated with them. Um, yeah. And then I think, and if you have it, so then I think it also becomes what kind of conversations can you have to encourage, um, good behavior. So there's a couple of kids where I pulled aside and say, Hey, you are so clearly a role model to everybody else in this group. And I noticed that you really shift the energy. So how can we be like, and encourage them to be like a role model for, for other kids. I'd also say that like, if they can be the ones leading games that might also be okay. That feels kind of like counterintuitive, but allowing them to like step up and step in as a leader, I think can be a way to get them to channel their energy. Um, it also can be rhetorical. Thank you, Lauren. Oh, Lauren. Um, so yes. And I think on top of that, it may be possible to talk to the, um, people that work with them, like the other officers and hear what they're doing or their advice is. So lots of different things. Um, and then, yeah, he wants to be on the front row. <laughs> Let me see. Yeah. So another learning opportunity to say, Hey, I'm going to invite a different person today. And here's why. And just make sure that if like, you're not centering them, you're doing it in a way that's like, you're giving them your intention. I want so-and-so to get the opportunity to do this. And I want so-and-so to get the opportunity to do this. And so you can bring in just a lot of conversation around it. And then if it becomes continuous and none of that is working, you have to set boundaries um, with them. And if you're setting boundaries from the beginning about what's allowed and not allowed, it won't be a shock to them when they're not allowed to do something. Awesome. Thank you. Um, uh, I know that I had a, a young child that was really struggling, um, you know, and if you have an opportunity to bring in arts and crafts, so this would be also my, um, offer. We did, a um, we made mandalas, um, which is basically, you know, there wasn't a rigid structure, but it was basically a way, um, that they could focus their energy into a piece of paper or a piece of art that they made. Um, so we talked about, you know, drishti or focus, right. And so oftentimes like I would, I would have their mandalas in the class and I would have them grab it and put it at the front of their mat. Um, and so if they felt, um, these surges of energy or, um, you know, maybe if, redirecting them to this mandala, right? This place where they could put all of their focus and all of their energy. Um, right. That was just a tool that worked for me. 
Thank you for saying that um, because it also reminds me that's a brilliant idea. And um, I, our co-facilitator, my former co-facilitator, Bloom, who the only reason she's former, she lives in a different state. Sad. Um, she made water bottles that we put glitter. She like put glitter in a water bottle with water and then shook it. Right. And showed them like, this is your brain. Right. And then, but allow 30 seconds and look the way your brain settles. And they loved it. They were like, this is the best thing ever. And then the kids kept asking for this water bottle during the school day. They were like, can I use it? Cause it gives them something else to focus on. And so actually our like Christmas celebration was we all made water bottles. And, but again, setting clear expectations, I said, you'll, you won't get to keep these. They like, they're not going to go into your cell with you. However, Miss Ross agreed to hold them for you so that you can ask her. So again, really clear about what's allowed, not allowed. Um, but they loved it. I will, won't do that again unless I have a co-teacher with me. I did not that day. There were more kids than I expected and there is still glitter on the floor. Um, (laughs) So even with careful planning, um, but yeah, just even bringing in one and and letting them do that. If if you have something that they can um, play with, that can be tricky because you don't want them to be the only kid receiving it at the same time. Sometimes kids in the room can feel and sense that that person needs something different. And so you can kind of play in that way. I know we're at time, but this is like, I feel like everybody's thing. And the last sentence I'll say about this is like ADHD, um, while it doesn't always have to like correlate with trauma, trauma can largely affect ADHD and it can cause ADHD. And so that's something to keep in mind as well, um, that it comes from that. Yes. Yes. Um, and I would love to talk even more about the topic. It I know. <laughs> very close to home and very special place in my heart as well. Um, and we're just going to keep rolling through questions. I know some people have to go. Thank you so, so much for coming and being here with us. Um, you know, and we'll have this recording up. So if there are a couple questions um, and you have to go, um, hopefully you'll be able to engage with those later. Um, and we'll continue to record. So if you are not able to get the rest of these answers, it will be on the recording. Yeah. Um, so yes, all of our courses are certified through yoga Alliance. Um, so, um, any of our specific yoga teacher trainings, like not program delivery, but yeah, these are, yeah, our YTT is, and our, um, foundational training counts as CEUs and until they change the requirement to be in person. But as of now, they haven't changed that. So great. Um, and then I have a question, um, from Raleem. I think that's how they pronounce their name. I'm a 43-year-old American Black yoga facilitator. I'm interested in becoming a facilitator with PYP with special interest in dealing with troubled youth. I became a, uh, I became familiar with PYP while in federal prison. My question is, am I too old? No, no. I literally got chills when I said that. Um, not at all. And there are things that... <laughs> Yes, Sharonda, throw in there. Um, there are things that you will be able to offer that I never could. And so please know that. Like we all are gonna carry different things um in with us. And so no, not at all. <laughs> yeah, please. Um, we would love to have you. Well, wow, there's so many people, like I literally didn't know how old you all like your age. And now you're like telling me your age. I had no idea because we don't focus on that at all. 
Yes, yes, it's coming in. It's coming in. Great, great. Um, I would say most of our facilitators are like in their 40s and up, I would say. Yeah, we, I think I'm an outlier um, in this work. Yeah. Oh my God, everybody dropping their age in, it just feels like the exact type of community that we hope to embody. So, yeah. Oh, and happy 40th soon, Vanessa. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Uh, for those of us who move frequently, is being a facilitator still an option? I think that the question, I think I'm glad that they're asking that question. Um, I think it's much more challenging to do this work if, if you're not in one place. Um, I am a Sagittarius ENFP Enneagram seven. I love traveling. I love my family does not live in Arkansas. And so I do leave the state to see them. Um, but at the end of the day, it's because I'm rooted here in little rock that I can do this work. And so I don't think that means you can't be involved or anything like that, but maybe it's as a sub or, or well, I guess, cause if you're moving, I would, I would sit with that for a long time. Oh, military. Okay. So that that's different. Cause I feel like in some circumstances you might be there for a long time and you just don't know. Um, I have a teacher that is air force who I really can't wait to bring in, but he's going to wait until he gets back from his, um, training. What would you say Blair in that, in that case? Well, I mean, I think if you have uh, an urge to offer yoga, I think offering yoga to maybe people that are on the base, if you continue to right, like, um, yeah. like that's a population that needs yoga. That's a population that needs support. Okay. They do. Right. Um, so yeah, I, since you already do that, I mean, I think that's kind of the first piece that runs to me. Um, Something too, as well, actually now that, so this doesn't exist yet, but we, well, so we have a, a, a workbook now and a correspondence um, program for people with COVID, like where we couldn't go into facilities. And so down the road and in the future, we hope to be able to offer like a correspondence opportunity with people that we can't reach in person. So this isn't an offering for right now, but it's something that we're getting creative with and, and down the road. And so it's just to say there's likely going to be opportunities. It just might require some creativity and always going back to the intention of like how consistent and sustainable you can be. Great. Thank you, Nicole. Um, do we have international initiatives? Mm -hmm. We do. Um, we're in a lot of different countries, Sweden, Israel, France, and Netherlands, Australia. Not every um, of those, not all the places I just listed have youth specific programs, but a lot are, are working on them. And so when people apply from um, a different country outside the United States, we would just connect folks to people already on the ground. Um, and again, if you have a specific place and maybe you don't see it on the map, um, please just continue to reach out to us, um, fill out a facilitator application, um, and we are here to support you in any and all ways. Um, not necessarily to speak for Nicole, but just to, to read. No, totally. <laughs> and um, I know our international programs are not listed on our public facing map. And so in some we have to keep private. And so it's better if you just email us. There are initiatives in the UK. We have a program director in the UK. We have two teachers that 
that are teaching programs. And so we can definitely get you connected to Jeff once you fill out a facilitator application. And um, we have Cara or Kara. Um, I'm based in the only youth detention facility in Ireland, and I would love to connect on this further. Just want to say that out loud because that's awesome. Thank you for being here. Yeah, please reach out. Um, we can we can totally connect. And something else Prison Yoga Project likes to do is like bring in people and organizations under our umbrella that might find strength in, in partnering. And so we love to talk about ways that we can recognize you and your work and also invite you into the Prison Yoga Project community. Yeah. And, you know, um, potential hosts for webinars too. You know, we don't just interview people that are part of the Prison Yoga Project um, umbrella. Um, you know, if you have even an international program or you you run programs like this, I would also love to talk to you and I would love for you to talk to our audience about um, your population and maybe um, the different challenges that your country or community goes through as well. Um, you know, these are opportunities for us to continue to grow, um, uh, grow our sangha and really grow our education um, and share our learned experiences. Um, so that makes me excited too. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. A couple questions that were in here. Um, I dropped a merch link. Um, someone asked, uh, how can we support prison yoga project? Um, we have social media, so you can follow us on Instagram. Um, doing our foundational training supports us telling people about the work that we do supports us. Um, you know, continuing to come to these webinars. Um, I love that we offer these for free, but I do find them very valuable. Um, so just continuing to grow the community is one way that you can, um, support us. What do you say, Nicole? Yeah. Growing the community, like from a like fundraising lend, like if you know people that aren't yoga teachers, but they do have money to give and want to be connected to a social justice organization, like we always really, really appreciate that. Um, yeah, being able to report how many people attend our webinars, our follow our Facebook, our Instagram, all of that matters to the organizations that we seek funding from. And so the more, the better building a program, all of it. <laughs> um, just, but mainly being engaged with us and, and showing up. Yes. Thank you. Um, last question. And then we'll do a couple more pitches. Thank you again, everyone so much for being here. Thank you, Nicole, for your absolute brilliance, um, you know, and sharing your lived experience. Um, yeah. And just how versed you are in this work um, and just how elo eloquently you can talk about this. And I just love, I, I can see all of the tools that you have that you can say, you know, you can, Oh, this needs this, this needs this, you know, you, you're, um, you have the capacity to react, um, or respond what rather, right? Like you have great responsibility. Um, That's so nice of you to say, thank you. And this is a credit to all of my high schoolers that essentially, uh, I went through hell with <laughs> and for, you know, they're all like graduating college now and I love them and hope they're doing well. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I love that. Um, so, uh, just a personal question that was being asked. Um, love both of your earrings. Nicole, what do your earrings symbolize? I don't know yet. I bought them on, um, Wednesday, but I see them as like rainbows. Cause I have, mm. I have like actual rainbows with all the colors. I also can feel like they could look like a person with legs. So I'm still on that journey to know. Mm. I like the bold statement. Yeah, definitely earring half donuts. Yeah, I'm earring oriented. 
Yeah. And like I said, you have to kind of wear a certain uniform in facilities, but I've always allowed to thus far wear fun, bright earrings. Doe giving us sweet, sweet mm-hmm. words. Um, they highly recommend the foundational training. Yes, I also recommend our foundational training. It is how I got involved with Prison Yoga Project during the pandemic. Um, you know, just kind of threw my name in the hat. Um, had a lot of other previous work in addition to yoga. So I'm just so grateful to be part of this team, um, you know, and then I get to have conversations as my job um, and to educate. You're really good at it. Really, <laughs> that means a lot. Um, so once again, thank you so much, everyone, for being here. And Nicole, I want to give you the last word. If there's anything that you want to share, hmm. I didn't. I know you asked this question, and I didn't even. Um, I didn't even think about it. I think at the end of the day, your care and love for teenagers will drive your actions and and how you show up for them. So I think, and it's okay to let that seep through because I think it's easy in schools or jails and all that to want to come off really serious and things, but like, it's okay to show up authentically and love them. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm sure we'll, we'll make the cut there, but um, yeah, just to keep <laughs> that, you know, like play, like, the, like we're working with children. Right. And I feel like circumstances have made them grow up faster or there have been circumstances that have been loss of innocence, loss of childhood. And so um, that makes me want to cry, you know, like coming back to a place of joy and play and connection. That's, that's how kids connect is through play. Absolutely. And it's also how adults do. Like I've actually played Yogi says with that my adult men that I teach on Tuesdays. And the other day, someone was like, we haven't played Yogi says in a while. Like they wanted to play. And I think modeling, oh God, the book Brainstorm um, by Daniel Siegel, who is, it's a big influence in the workbook that we're writing. Um, But he talks about like novelty and like creativity and and those being like um, important factors in happiness in our adulthood. And those are things we cultivate in like adolescence. And so just this idea of like coming back to play and joy and moving your body in ways that are new and fun. It's like uh, so good for us. It is so good for us um, to do. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that into the, the adult element, you know? Yeah. Cause it's fun to work with them too. And most people kind of need to be treated the way we think children need to be treated, which is just like safe space, boundaries, clear intentions, fun. Compassion. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you all for being here. Um, just really sweet, kind things happening in the chat. Um, just want no, to- and everyone's staying long. And yeah, yeah. It's really nice. It's a nice motivation because I've felt like I've been moving through sludge this week, honestly, just trying to like make everything happen. And we have so many projects and just so many people um, that we love to support. And so it's really motivating connecting with our community and just knowing how much like y'all care. <laughs> and that's, um, I'm happy to hear that too. And I feel like every Friday or every time we host these webinars, I'm just like, I'm so happy that I do this work. I'm so yeah. happy that, that we get to show up in these spaces. Um, Me too. More, 
sweet words. Um, I'm trying to pull up our uh, bookshop. Here we go. So we have kind of some collections of recommended books. And I don't know if we put brainstorm on that list. I, I have to double check. Okay. I feel like I saw it, but it all might have. Yeah. Um, we'll try to make sure that we update this often as well. Um, oh yeah, it's an, it's under psychology. Um, so yeah, so these are just really great resources. Um, oh, and maybe, maybe it's an opportunity. Bill, do you, Bill, you want to come on? Are you there? Uh, you want to hang Bill? You want to hang? Um, I know. Hi, yeah. Hi. Um, <laughs> I also want to honor everyone's Friday, but, um, maybe a couple hi. minutes. I can't read your expression. <laughs> <laughs> Whose expression? My expression? Yeah. I think he looks really happy. Um, I, yeah, I'm beyond happy. I mean, really, the, yeah, I don't have words. I really don't have words. I can't, I, it, it just feels so good to know, like, how the team has expanded, you know, and how the organization is growing and changing in the last couple of years. And it's, like I'm sitting here thinking I want, you know, it's like if I kept thinking throughout the whole thing, you know, if I were if I were a person who was um, uh, uh, looking for programming to bring into my facility and I saw this, I would be so excited about working with Prison Yoga Project um, and and so confident in in reaching out to ask for programming from this organization and yeah absolutely brilliant thank you was i supposed to was i supposed to were you asking about something else no we were just like welcome because we still have like 19 people here yeah i know yeah i'm are you glad i wore my shirt i know i really like the shirt that's heather that's the heather green uh Heather Green and I get a compliment on it weekly by at least one participant saying they love the shirt and I tell them this was designed by a former participant they didn't know it was going to become a t-shirt but they they did this yeah yeah. it's actually behind you as well behind your head oh yeah there's the original artwork that's the original woodcut right there Mm -hmm. yeah yeah yeah, that was fantastic. That was fantastic. The other thing that I that I kept thinking through all of this is just, you know, I mean, and I think it's come up before um, that this was um, uh, uh, that that this is all stuff that I think will work with adults as well. You know, um, uh, especially at the beginning, as you were talking about, just um, like this is what participation looks like. And really, you know, and having clarity around that. And you've got stuff to, to you've got something to, to constantly reference back to. And yeah, it's brilliant. I, I can't wait to rewatch it. And and I I also can't wait. I really, this, this again, you know, I know that we cannot take on any more projects, but PYP needs a youth facility. I know we do. And training. I'm really excited. She's actually on this um, call right now, Lauren, who just started coming in two weeks ago. Me, her, and Rachel, we're going to brunch after our class next week. And we're like, so we're going to write out a, like a class and like <laughs> and how to like um, modify for 30 minutes or if it's an hour. Like, so we're going to start documenting all of this because we really don't at the moment 
have a really good tool, I feel like, for youth facilitators to take our program facilitation guidelines. And so Bloom already built mm-hmm. all the games they can play. So that I'm trying to document as much as I can and, and pull from our experts, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Y'all are going to like, you're going to love Lauren. You're going to all like her very much. It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of pressure on you, Lauren. Um. <laughs> you know why we met? We met at Trader Joe's because I was wearing a prison yoga project beanie. Oh, yeah, there you go. That's yeah. why we have the merch. We have the merch to spread the word, to start a conversation. We have, I got to get these stickers up on, but it's. I need like, more stickers. You put too. this on your water bottle, you put this on the back of your laptop, and then you go and you work in a cafe, and you're going to meet two people a week, guaranteed. Uh, and people say, prison yoga? Prison yoga. Either, they're either skeptical or they're like, oh my God, that's that makes so much yeah. sense. They're yeah. right there in in the uh, at the minute. And I joke with this about Lauren, but I'm like, um, when we first talked about this, she was like, "This is awesome!" Like she was excited to walk into a jail with incarcerated. Like she and not in like the like to fulfill something in herself, but just like this space is the space in which she wants to operate. And I was like, "You're my people. That's how I know because you're not like making a face or you're like, why do you do that? You're like, oh, amazing. Yeah. Right. How do I be a part of it? When Um, you get into this work and the deeper you go into this work, the more and more and more and more it makes sense. And, and I don't know, you know, and, and again, uh, as we say that, that, that this is always, we're working in these spaces where um, we have an extreme example uh, that makes it very clear to see uh, things like the way in which um, a hierarchical organization creates harm. Now in, you know, it, it, it very clear when we see it in these exaggerated circumstances, but then you start to see the, how that operates right throughout our whole society. I might have just lost train of, of my thought there. Um, but um, you really start to appreciate how much I think the philosophy of yoga like can really inform how we show up in society and how we choose to create structures in our society um, in a way that I think, you know, um, works against the forces of marginalization and disempowerment and the harm that results from all of that. And, and um, yeah, I think it's, it's a beautiful clarifying work that helps, you know, when you engage in this, then it, it, it's like a transmutation. It also, though, reminds me when um, with yoga philosophy, and this was what I forgot to mention, um, but that's another way of kind of like guiding behavior and offering invitation to to act in a different way. Because um, that story I told you about where I had a student that was like, I kill snakes. And it wasn't just like I killed a snake to protect myself. It was like they got joy out of killing a living, you know, like, and so it was an opportunity to not say you shouldn't do that or like to bring shame, but like, Oh, there's this word in yoga called ahimsa and it means nonviolence. And it, in like, just to kind of like go into it where rather where they can just kind of go, huh, you know, and this other concept that we discussed about where ahimsa, like we, the word nonviolence kind of, 
we feel like it, it makes the assumption that, well, we might be inherently violent and that's why we have to practice nonviolence. And so it makes sense that you kind of naturally want to kill a snake. Right. And so it, it's not that it's the do we, but should I actually kill the snake? Right. Like, should I actually do that? And that's what ahimsa allows you to stop and pause and think about. So you can have a discussion that's not calling out the child and shaming them in yep. that moment in front of people. Yep. Yep. We've got the potential to, to harm other things. We've got the potential to kill. Yeah. Yeah. And, that's- and teenagers, they like being reckless. It feels really good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's I remember be- being a boy with a BB gun and shooting birds until the day that I hit one that I was able to go and retrieve and I saw what I had done and I recognized the consequence. And if I could take that back, I would have, but there's a finality to death. And, uh, that made a choice for me. I think I was probably around 10 years old, broke the sights off my gun and recognized that internally I was a pacifist. Well, that's like, 10 years old, that's when the dopamine starts to kick on. Like some Daniel Siegel was saying, like, um, if kids even have like a lower baseline of dopamine. And so that spike, mm. that, like excitement is even more almost like addictive because they're not living at a, at that level all the time. That's interesting. It's, it's almost like right. there's a, there's a, he always, I know I love him for the fact of the, the evolutionary perspective that it's like, these are not mistakes. These are not defects, but yeah. this is like a feature. So there's a feature that, that, um, that drives that novelty seeking, mm-hmm. you know, that's built into how we push out of, you know, children and dependence yeah. and into independence and it's through that process of, of novelty seeking that helps us uh, uh launch like leave the nest yeah absolutely yeah. and like it, he doesn't even want you or encourage kids to not get that dopamine yeah it's like just get, get it. it wearing a helmet but how can you yeah, get it wearing a helmet that's a great that's a great yeah and and yeah and i love this that this you know i you know and i can't wait for more and more of this to come into the to the uh you know in that show up in that youth workbook that we're working on and really you know in a very respectful um working with an energy rather than blocking an energy to try and channel and guide that I feel like I haven't gotten into that yet because in part two is where we really get into yoga. And so in this first section, I I talked about dopamine and our, and the tendency to, to make these decisions. And then it kind of ends with, which is why we need to learn to pause. And then, so the practices are like breath and, and like self-touch practices, like just like squeezing your fists and stuff. And then the next section is where they really learn yoga and where we can talk about. And I, I've kind of, I know you don't like Avengers, but I changed the example of, Oh, was I not supposed to? (laughs) Um, okay. So you know how we compare the force to star Wars, which was Brienne of transformation yoga project. Want to credit her with that. Um, well, I said like the force in star Wars or the power and motivation in black Panther, because to me, black Panther said that black Panther in itself was like a monumental movie and superhero. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I have written in one of our scenes that the kids, when they're being taken out 
not to give too much away when being rested. Um, one is wearing a Star Wars t-shirt to bed and one is wearing a Black Panther's t-shirt to oh, bed. That's so cool. Yeah. So because because that's what you and it's like it's like channeling our power into me. Um, yoga helps us transform into that superhero or like that that thing. So yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's like yeah. you know, that's like deity visualization practices, right? It's like that's why they exist, right? It's not necessarily that it's something outside of us, but it's so that we can cultivate that quality within us. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. And I, and I, it, I can't think of a better way than with like superheroes and I can't think of a more impactful superhero of this like decade than Black Panther. There's, and there's so, there's my personal emotion tied to it of like the actor, but also just like what it did for the people around me and, and for kids. And yeah. So. You know, it just also, you know, again, like thinking about it, you know, I was thinking about Luke Skywalker as my, influence you know um your guru my my you know one of yeah one of my earliest gurus well i guess yo you know it's probably yoda or <laughs> obi-wan you know the but uh but the hero's journey there and the struggle you know to choose how do you choose between the light and the dark ultimately and that that struggle is real and that these things that you may be struggling with um, can be, are the things that are going to build your character ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll I'll poke at that. (laughs) I know it's 11 o'clock, but I think, I think choosing yes, but also knowing that we all, that we carry both. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That and that, yeah, and I think yeah. That's and that's. I'm absolutely a hundred percent. We carry both, and and we're and and we're not going to like land on one side and then oh hey we're there. We're constantly being like facing the, like yeah. uh, being presented with opportunities. Yeah. Yeah, I think especially as a teenager. You're literally like, it's, I don't know how I'm like just reading. I don't know. Literally every day (laughs) you make a choice that could help save your life when you're a kid because of how reckless Mm -hmm. you can be. And then when you add in all the traumatic experiences that kids grow up with and every little chance to just fall back on that path. Um, yeah. 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 And there's a ton of themes I'm going to miss in this iteration, which is why it's like, let's just get something on paper. So you all can all weave in um, everything. I'm being really basic right now because it's hard. It's hard to write a book. We're basically writing a book and it's it's hard. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it'll be, I can't wait to see it. Thank you both. Thank you.